Often people wonder, who is Korach? Korach was Aaron and Moshe and Miriam's first cousin and the leader of this rebellion against Moshe and Aaron that we read about in the Parsha. In the opening psukim of the Parsha, we read that he, along with Datan and Aviram and On, they rose up against Moshe with 250 other Israelites who were chieftains and men of repute. And this is what they said. Rav lachem ki kol ha'eda kulam kedoshim uvetocham Adonai umadua titnas'u al-kahal Adonai. You have gone too far, for all of this community is holy, all of them, and God is in their midst. Why then do you raise yourself above God's congregation? So what does Korach actually want? If you look at the verse, there's actually a number of complaints in that one pasuk. So let's break down the three issues that he brings up. Number one is Rav Lachem, and I'll translate them all from Hebrew to English in a minute. Number two is Kikol Ha'eda Kulam Kedoshim. And number three is Uvetocham Adonai. So first, Rav Lachem. Rashi understands that when Korach says Rav Lachem, he's saying that Moshe has too much. That's how he translates those words. That Moshe and Aaron have far too much greatness for themselves. Or, as Ibn Ezra understood it, Moshe and Aaron, they grabbed the greater share. And what is it that Moshe and Aaron have? Well, they have both the leadership of the people and the priesthood. Why is it, Korach wants to know, or no, he doesn't want to know, he's upset about, that only one branch of the Kahat family has all of that? How did they get the entire family business? Well, they actually didn't get the entire family business because Korach and his progenitor are still going to be Levi'im. That's a lot more than nothing. The second complaint, isn't everybody holy? That's what they're saying. As Ibn Ezra reminds us, the entire community has been holy since we all stood together at Sinai. It's as if Korach is asking, if all of us are holier and holy together, why do you get to be even more holier? Of course, Korach doesn't actually present blueprints for creating an egalitarian society. This part of the complaint always reminds me of George Orwell's Animal Farm. I think we all read it in high school, right? All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. That's the complaint. And now for the third part of the complaint. Uvetocham Adonai. God is in everyone's midst. It seems that Korach is saying, if all of us have equal access to God, why should Moshe and Aaron control that access? Of course, the next part of the verse lifts up Korach's ignorance about the origin story of his extended family business. When he says, Umadua titnas'u al-kahal Adonai, why then do you raise yourself up over the congregation? Korach is missing the part that Moshe was chosen by God. He was chosen. Remember that whole bush, right? And he has been a reluctant leader this entire time. 
Thus far, it's not so far-fetched to conclude that Korach is like one of those people who only reads headlines or judges books by their cover. Someone should have schooled him in Pirkei Avot, don't judge something merely based on what you see on the outside. Korach only saw what Moshe and Aaron were doing then, not how they got their leadership positions. I find this third complaint to actually be the weakest because had Korach done his homework, he would have known the answer. But I want to return to his second argument, which does have some validity to it. This is the argument where he says, Isn't everybody holy? And this part of his argument does have some legs. Because at Sinai, and I think Aaron quoted this earlier, God said, You, God says, to the entire people, shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And later in Vayikra, God says, Kedoshim tihiyu ki kadosh ani Adonai Elohechem. You shall be holy, you, all of you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And even Moshe knows that everyone is holy, because he said in last week's Parsha, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord put his spirit upon them. So Korach is essentially asking, if we're all a kingdom of priests, why are you the rabbi, Moshe? What do we need you for? Korach points out that holiness, the quality that we share with God, is within our reach. And that holiness is within us all. All of us. So perhaps we're actually focusing on the wrong part of Korach's rebellion. Maybe it's not that his issue is personal against Moshe or that he's out to get Moshe and lower his authority, but maybe he just wants to elevate the entire community to his prophetic vision. It could be. Maybe it's not as much about Moshe as it is about the greater good of the people. So what did Korach do then that was so heinous? The issue is how Korach fought. This is not new for those of us who returned to Korach year after year. Korach was a demagogue, and he was dangerous, and he shared half-truths, and he never took the time to read backstories. He also did not prepare Moshe and Aaron for the confrontation and he peddled fake news. Earlier this week, I saw the musical Hamilton again. I think we talked about it last week. Beth Sedek got a ticket for our Shin Shinit Amit, so I went with her. And in Hamilton, which is also about a revolution, when a duel occurs, those involved need to adhere to, anyone? The ten dual commandments, right? So there's, a te there's ten commandments for a duel. And the very first commandment for a duel begins with number one. Agree to the duel. Korach missed that essential first step. He just went right at them. Korach could have done a lot of things differently than banding together with other leaders and yelling at Moshe. There could have been a private conversation beforehand where Korach could have said, can you explain to me how it came to be that if we're all holy, then why are you the leader? And instead, Moshe was attacked with no advanced warning. 
In his book, How to Argue Powerfully, Persuasively, and Positively, Jonathan Herring writes, the aim of an argument or of a discussion should not be victory, but progress. Arguments, and for that matter, discussions, should be about seeing things through the other person's eyes. They should lead to a better understanding of another person's view. Another approach to end arguments is to simply ask the other person to explain their thinking. You know, there's a reason that the Mishnah teaches, that what Korach did was not l'shem shamayim, was not for the sake of peace, like the arguments of Hillel and Shammai. Hillel and Shammai and their descendants, they wanted to clearly understand every letter and every word of Torah. Korach, on the other hand, just wanted to rid Moshe and Aaron of their power. Back in 1788, the real Alexander Hamilton, not Lin-Manuel Miranda, he wrote the following. Men often oppose a thing merely because they have no agency in planning it or because it may have been planned by those whom they dislike. But if they had been consulted and have happened to disapprove, Opposition then becomes, in their estimation, an indispensable duty of self-love. Korach gets a Parsha named after him to remind us not to be like Korach. Yes, he had no agency in God choosing Moshe to lead the people. And no, he was not consulted. But this year when I read him, I feel like maybe a tiny little bit of his complaining was valid. But he went about stating it and sharing it the absolute wrong way. He wanted to be in the room where it happened. Thank you, Yaakov, for giving me that line. <laughs> but he didn't have the permission to be there. He wasn't invited. And that is why we should not be like Korach. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>